Thank you, Philip. Um, well, today is uh, heading toward the new year, and I wanted to look forward to where we're going and wanted to place a special point of emphasis on this idea of winning the lost in 2019. <coughs> you may be familiar, that's probably not the last time I'm going to cough today. You may be familiar with a guy by the name of Dwight L. Moody. He was one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever known. Dwight L. Moody tra uh, traveled the world, uh, leading revivals, preaching to folks, uh, witnessing on an individual level. This was in the day before mass media. Um, his biographer says that he led well over a million people to Christ. Think about that. I mean, that was a busy guy back in the day before there was TV and radio and such. The story is told about Moody that he was handing out tracks one day at the train depot as people were getting on and off of the train. A particular businessman hopped off the train. He was looking around trying to get his bearings. Moody walked up to him and he said, hey, sir, are you a Christian? The businessman turned to him and said, it's none of your business. Moody responded back very sharply, yes, it is. He said, well, you must be Dwight L. Moody. I've heard of you before. <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat to have that kind of reputation that precedes you that, hey, here comes this guy's going to share Christ with me. Oh, that must be that fellow that I've heard about. And on this occasion, it was Dwight L. Moody. Well, that's our topic today, and that's what I want to talk about, is winning the lost in 2019. What does that mean for us as a church? How do we rally to that? And that's going to be a special point of emphasis for me over the course of this coming year. But today, I just want to introduce the topic to us. And the way I want to do that is, first, I want to give you a theological basis for witnessing, a theological basis for sharing Christ with folks. And then secondly, I would like for us to uh, talk about, well, how do we do this? What are some practical, put some handles on it. How do we witness for Christ in a way that's not just something for the professionals to do, that's not just something for the preachers to do, but rather that's something that I can do in my everyday life. Because this is not just something that God expects of Dwight L. Moody, but rather it's an expectation that he placed across all of those who claim the name of Christ. And so let's get educated according to the scriptures today. Our text comes from Romans chapter 10. We're going to start reading verses 10 through 7, yeah, 13 through 17, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 17. Let's begin there, verse 13. Here we go. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you. Yeah, I threw a word in there. It wasn't in there. Um, same person, Jesus Christ. One and the same. All right, so let's walk through these verses together. Just the first verse there, beginning at verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Paul believed that Jesus was the solution to our sin problem. The Bible teaches us that each of us is born into this world with a sinful nature, and that each of us is born into this world lost, that we need Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers us, that when Jesus went up onto the cross and he shed his blood, that he suffered the penalty in his own body that is your, your penalty and mine, to suffer. He took that price upon himself and he was slain on our behalf, that the blood of Jesus was shed on our behalf and that when we petition Jesus, 
for his shed blood to cover our sins, that God then we enter into a, a right relationship with him. That God who is holy, we who have a sinful nature, we who are tainted by our sin, God cannot allow us into heaven into his presence, but by the blood covering of Jesus that we can have our sins washed away and we can enter into the presence of a holy God, safe and secure for all of eternity. Friends, that's the gospel message. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. That is, they can get to heaven. Um, this is the consistent message all throughout the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. You say, well, that's really good, but what about the person who doesn't believe in the Son, who doesn't believe in Jesus? Well, look at what the rest of the verse says. It says, but the one who rejects the Son, who rejects Jesus, will not see eternal life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, um, he said I'm the way, the truth, and the life, here it comes. No one gets to the Father but through me. And where is the Father? The Father is in heaven. Jesus is saying nobody gets to heaven, nobody gets to where the Father is except through me. Jesus says, I'm the one exclusive way to get to eternity in heaven. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 says, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12 the one who has the Son has eternal life. So you got Jesus, you got eternal life. That's the way this thing works. First, and then it goes on to say, but the one who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Friends, that's pretty clear. I don't see how the Bible could spell it out any more clearly that if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Instead, you're headed for an eternity of destruction in hell. This is why Peter said, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, that <clears throat> there is salvation is found in no one else that is getting to heaven. There's nobody else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Paul adds to that 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. He says that God will take vengeance with flaming fire. And who's he going to take vengeance with flaming fire? On those who do not know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 9, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Here's Paul teaching about the reality that hell is a real place and that people are going to go there if they don't have Jesus from the Lord. They'll be into eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. Friends, this is the theological basis for why we go and share Christ with people. Because the scripture teaches us that without Christ in their life, without the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers, that people are heading toward destruction and hell, that they're heading for an eternity apart from God. That's the clear teaching of scripture. And that's why we want to overcome the risk. We want to overcome the, the embarrassing feelings sometimes. We want to overcome some of our trepidation about going and sharing Jesus with people because we know that without Jesus, the people that, by which, that we pass by every day on the street, that we pass by at work, our own family who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, friends, the Bible teaches clearly that they will spend an eternity apart from God. They will spend eternity in hell in the everlasting fires of hell. And the devil knows this. And so the devil has been trying to convince believers for 2,000 years now since Christ came and resurrected and went back up to heaven that there was some other way to get to heaven besides Jesus. Because he knows that if believers believe that there was some other way to get to heaven besides Jesus, that we wouldn't be as motivated to try and go out and share Christ with people. Right? And so that's kind of his thinking. So you say, well, okay, Gordon, I hear what you're saying. I got some objections, though, at least some objections that I might hear. This sounds really mean. Right? I mean, how could God be so mean? I thought God was supposed to be merciful, right? He teaches that he's merciful, teaches that he's loving, right? He's Mr. Agape. 
Um, so how could God, who is loving and merciful, send people to an eternity in hell? Well, the problem with that perspective, the problem with that question is, it's got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. All right? Think about what John chapter 3 and verse 16 says. It says, for God so what? So love the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. It's this idea, friends, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came as the antidote to our sin problem. God knew that we were heading for destruction and hell forever, and that's why he sent Jesus, because he loves us so much. So friends, rather than us looking at that and saying, hey, God's so mean and so cruel to send somebody to hell. No, friends, people that reject Jesus are just stupid for not receiving the love that God has for them, for not receiving this free gift that God has made available to them so that they can have eternity in heaven with the Lord. It doesn't make God mean and cruel. It rather reveals God's great love. You say, oh, Gordon, okay, Gordon, I see what you're saying. But what if somebody never gets to hear about Jesus? What if they spend their whole life in some Muslim country? What if they're raised Buddhist? What if they're raised in India as a Hindu? I mean, and they're really devout about their Buddhism. They're really devout about being a Muslim. They went to, said their prayers. They did their alms. They did all the things that they're supposed to do. I mean, couldn't when they get to heaven, God looks at that and looks at the body of evidence of their life and say, hey, you know what? You were a really good Buddhist. I mean, you went into the monastery and you prayed and you did all the Buddhist kind of stuff. Couldn't God then credit Jesus to them when they get to heaven? I mean, couldn't he do that? Well, I mean, God is God. God could do whatever he wants to do, but the Bible clearly says that God does not do that. Look at what we read earlier, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. The Bible doesn't say that you call on the name of Allah. It doesn't say that you call on the name of Muhammad. It doesn't say that if you call on the name of Joseph Smith or Confucius or Buddha or anybody else, it says if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, that you will be saved. And that's the only way that you can be saved. Skip on down to or verse 14 says, how then can they, the people who want to go to heaven, how can they call on Jesus that they haven't believed in? And how can they believe when they haven't heard about him? And then he says, how can they hear without somebody proclaiming, without a preacher? Skip on down to verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through somebody else telling them the message about Jesus Christ. That's how people are able to respond to Jesus. That's how they're able to get to heaven, because somebody gave them that necessary information. There is cognitive information about Jesus' virgin birth, about his sinless life, about the miracles that he performed here on the earth, about his call to repentance, about the forgiveness that he offers, about his death on the cross, about his resurrection from the grave, about his ascension on up to heaven, about his godhood, about his God, the nature of the fact that he's God. And friends, without that information and the opportunity to respond to that information, the Bible clearly teaches that that person is lost, lost, lost. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, Paul clearly says that, hey, look, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. See, there's some cognitive information that that person needs. Confess with their mouth that Jesus is my Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him forth from the dead. Again, some more cognitive information, you will be saved. But without that information, friends, you can be a sincere Muslim, you can be a sincere Hindu, you can be a sincere Buddhist, you can be a sincere recycler, right? Whatever it is that you're into, you can be really sincere about it, but what the Bible clearly teaches is that the only way that you're going to get to heaven is by turning to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the consistent, clear, and unequivocal message 
all throughout Scripture. Listen, if there's some other way to get to heaven, there's some other way to get there, then the great missionaries down through the ages were wasting their time. I mean, people like John Wesley, people like E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary to India and then up into the Orient, people like uh, Jim Elliott, who went to the Auckland Indians, who just, who, if there was some other way for people to get to heaven, then he, Jim Elliott just threw his life away for nothing. What was the point if there's some other way for people to get to heaven? And you think about that for you and I. What's the point in us going out and sharing Jesus with people if there's some other way for them to get to heaven? If there's some other way for people to get to heaven, then why would I put myself through the ridicule of being called a religious fanatic and feeling cotton balls in my mouth and my armpits getting sweaty because I'm about ready to introduce somebody to Jesus? Why would I invite somebody into that conversation if there's some other way for them to get to heaven? Friends, again, the clear teaching of Scripture. Y'all with me? Okay, I think you got it. All right. So the theological basis for witnessing is that there is only one way to heaven, and that Jesus is that way. And that without responding to the cognitive facts about Jesus, a person is headed for an eternity in hell apart from God. This is the consistent message all throughout the Scripture. All right, with that, it's time for us to now kind of flip gears and talk about that most important question, what difference does all this make to your life and mine? You say, Gordon, I appreciate what you're saying. I agree with what I've heard here this morning. I see how that comes directly from Scripture. I see how it comes directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. Uh, but I mean, what am I supposed to do with it? What difference does this make to me? Well, let's talk about that. What I'd like to do is to give you some practical tips of how you and I can go out and share Jesus in our workplace, in our, amongst our family, wherever we happen to be, how we can be missionaries wherever we are. So a couple, four practical tips. Y'all ready? Here we go. Number one, first way that you can be an effective witness for Christ is through number one, prayer. Friends, the message of Jesus is a remedy, is an antidote to our sin problem. Um, but unless somebody's willing to take the antidote, unless somebody's come to a place where they're like, you know what, I need what Jesus offers. Unless they come to that place in their life where they're ready to receive him, then it's just information. And so that's where prayer enters into the picture. I was driving down the road, I think it was Friday, yeah, Friday afternoon, and there was um, a car in front of me. Um, I was in Gwinnett County. There was a car in front of me, and it said atheist on the bumper sticker. I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, you know. Are we okay? All right. Um, so there was a bumper sticker that said, <laughs> that was terrible. Can we edit that by any chance? There was a bumper sticker that said atheist, right? Really big, uh, big letters on the, on the bumper. And I was like, that guy is wearing that out here on the road as a badge of honor, right? Atheist. I'm an atheist. Really big, bold letters. Uh, just kind of putting that out there for the world to see. Now, am I going to be able to go share Jesus with that person and get, win him over to Christ? Am I going to bring him to a place where he knows that he has a sin problem? Probably not. More than likely, just through logical, us having a conversation together, sitting down, having coffee, I'm not going to get, bring that guy to a place that he realizes he needs Jesus in his life. But I'll tell you who can, the Holy Spirit. Um, and this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the whole point here is that... Um, is that uh, John chapter 16 and verse 8 teaches us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about God's judgment. Friends, you and I cannot do that, but the Holy Spirit of God can. 
It can convict people of sin. It can bring them to a place of wanting to live in a righteous way about God's judgment in their life. And, this is, and how do we bring the Holy Spirit's power to bear in somebody's life? How do, we, how do we get that person to a place where they're ready to receive, where they're ready to have that conversation, friends? It's through prayer, by enacting the Holy Spirit to come alongside that person, to enter into that person's heart, and to begin that transformation where they're beginning to hunger and wanting to ask questions and, and curious about God things. Prayer is a weapon, friends, that mobilizes the Holy Spirit who can break even through to that atheist bumper sticker guy and his heart. Number two, second way that you and I can witness effectively for Christ. Number one was prayer. Number two is to use Scripture. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, God says, My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please. This is God speaking here. But it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Listen, friends, it's not our cleverness that's going to win people over. It's not our logical arguments. I've stood there before and I've had logical arguments with people and then never has that worked in winning somebody to Christ. It's not our well-honed apologetic skills that God promised would not return to him empty. Rather, it is his word. It is the truth of scripture. You know, friends, I've tried to convince people that they have a sin problem and that they need Jesus in their life. I've presented all the logical arguments and you know, I've never had success in leading someone to Christ that way, but what I did, what, what did work was when they took hold of the Bible and they went home after that and they began reading through the scriptures and they began seeing for themselves who Jesus is, what their problem is, what the, the sin problem that they have in their life and how Jesus is the solution to that sin problem. And God's word began to seep down into their heart and began to stir in their heart, friends, and it gave them a hunger for God's truth. Listen, if you're trying to share Christ with someone and you're not making much headway, Get a Bible into their hands and ask them to read it. Say, hey, would you spend five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, start in the book of Matthew and just start reading through God's word. Friends, there's power. God said that my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I sent it out to do. Number three, third way that you and I can be more effective witnesses for Christ is to get some basic skill training. Some basic skill training. I mentioned John chapter 3 and verse 16 earlier. Um, that verse, uh, you've heard me teach on that before. Let me give you just some basic skill training on how to share the gospel using John chapter 3 and verse 16. You can jot this down if you want to. John chapter 3 and verse 16 um, is what we call a conditional promise, right? The promise is that you can have, thank you very much. Y'all are listening this morning. That's good. Eternal life. Are y'all starting to think about how the diet starts Tuesday? Is that what you're... Mine's already there. I know my, there's a lot more of me to love this week than there was a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, um, so John chapter 3, verse 16 is a conditional promise. The promise is that you can have eternal life, but there's a condition that you have to meet in order to receive that promise. The condition is that you have to believe. You see, it says there, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to whosoever believed. You got to believe. Now, belief is more than just head knowledge. It's more than, than believing that Jesus was a real person. I mean, even the devil believes that Jesus was a real person. It's knowing that I have a sin problem, that Jesus died on the cross to fix that sin problem, and I'm believing that what Jesus did on the cross, the work that he accomplished on the cross, is going to take care of my sin problem. That's belief. It's putting your faith in Jesus' work. It's putting your trust in Jesus' work. So that's belief. So that's the condition to receive the promise, that you believe in Jesus, the work he accomplished, and you'll receive eternal life. Can you do that? I think you can do that. 
I think you can do that. All right, so um, another basic skill training idea that um, I've shared with you before here is just the person that doesn't believe in God. How do you even bring that person to the table through logical arguments? How do you even bring that person to the table? Well, here's a little diagram that shows a, a picture of our universe. That's not the earth. That's the universe that's looking out from Hubble's telescope out across the vast expanse of space. And it says it's about, the scientists say it's about 13.1 million light years from east to west, west to east, whichever way you want to look at it, but 13.1 million light years which means that if Jason was to strap a warp drive to his tail end and he started on one side of the universe in 13.1 million years traveling at the speed of light, he would make it to the other side of the universe. Pretty big universe, right? And so you can see it there. It's kind of shaped like an oval. And so um, the problem is that when Hubble went up into the sky back in the late 90s, it discovered that there's a boundary, that there's edges to the universe, that it actually has shape. Well, that's a real problem for a guy like Carl Sagan, who said that the universe is all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. His idea and scientists' idea is that when Hubble went up into the sky, that what it would find is this universe that was without any boundaries. That it was this universe that would go on into infinity, right? That the physical universe is all that there is. But that's not what Hubble discovered. What Hubble discovered is that the universe has boundaries, that it has edges. And there's books that have been written about this since the, since the late 90s. Scientists have come up with all kinds of uh, crazy harebrained ideas of, of trying, to, trying to resolve that, and none of them hold any water. Well, the Bible teaches, hey, here's how we can explain that the universe is finite. Here's how we can, here's how we can understand that. Go to our next slide. Is that that's God, who's outside of our universe, who is infinite. That's what the Bible's been saying all along, that in the beginning, God created that God's always been. God is what is infinite. God is what is eternal, and that God can enter into our world, and he can exit out of our world. He can enter into our finitude, and he can exit out of it back into his infinity, right? And that that's what heaven is. It's this place of eternal rest. It's this place of eternal being. And so this idea, friends, that God is what's eternal rather than the universe itself, the material world being what's eternal. And so what this does for that guy with the atheist bumper sticker is it tells him, hey, look, there's something, you got to explain how there's a universe that's finite. It puts the burden on him. And I tell him, hey, I got, a, I got a solution for you. I got an explanation for that. What's your explanation? Because something's infinite. Something goes on forever and ever. And so that can bring that person to the table. The last little slide here is it points out that, again, this is what the universe should have looked like from Carl Sagan's perspective, right? A universe without boundaries. But that's not what we found. What we found was that universe that had boundaries. And so, again, these are just some basic skill training explanations. I mean, you can draw that out on a map, right? You can draw that out on a map, sitting down having coffee with somebody, saying, hey, look, enter into the conversation about God. Um, and so these are some examples of basic skill training that will help you navigate spiritual conversations with people. Number four, and finally, last way that you can be more effective witness for Christ is number four, to simply get started. To simply get started. If we're waiting for God to come along and sprinkle some magic whiffle dust on us, right, to turn us into an Apostle Paul-like preacher, right, who can go out and share Jesus with anybody, and who's, who's, you know, who has Dwight L. Moody skills, friends, that's not going to happen. I mean, you think about the first couple of times that the Apostle Paul went out to share about Jesus with somebody. I'm sure he was tripping all over his theological concepts. I'm sure he made a mess of things. Um, but over time, Paul got better and better and better and became a very effective witness for Christ. Friends, God steers, think about this, God steers moving ships. 
A ship that's just sitting dead in the water, I mean, God can't steer that anywhere. So if we go out and we get started sharing Christ with people, we go out and get the ship moving, God can then begin to navigate and steer that ship in a direction that'll be fruitful. You say, Gordon, hang on a minute. Before you call this thing over, before you're done here, I need to object to your last point. You see, I witness with my life. Right? I, the way I live, people look at the way I live and they know that I'm a, I'm a believer and that that draws people, attracts people to Christ because of the witness of my life. You know, uh, this little light of mine, I'm, I, let, I let mine shine and that's going to draw people to Christ. That, that, that's my evangelistic MO, if you would. Um, true story here. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a point. It's a point. True story here. A lady came up to this Christian man and she said, I've been watching you and I've noticed that you're different, that there's something very different about you. Again, this is a Christian man. She said, there's something different about your life. She said, I think I know what it is. You're a vegetarian. <laughs> well, friends, unless somebody opens their mouth and tells the cognitive information about Jesus, then people may think that it's vegetables that make us different right? And friends, it's not. It's the Lord Jesus. It's a relationship with him that makes us different. So somewhere along the way, even if we're letting our light shine, somewhere along the way, we have to open our mouth and we have to share the cognitive facts about who Jesus was, about, what, about a person's sin problem, and the solution that Jesus offers to that sin problem. You say, Gordon, I, I mean, God bless you up there. You're working hard this morning. I appreciate you sharing all that you've been sharing here. But there's one thing that you're completely missing, and you, you know, sometimes you do this. There's something that you're missing. That is, I mean, you're, you live in preacher world. Right? I mean, you go to the church every day. You don't go to my office every day. You don't go out onto the, onto the warehouse work floor like I could do every day. You don't interact with the people that I do every day. I mean, you're just, you know, you're just, you're not, you don't have a Monday through Friday like I have Monday through Friday. So, I mean, the people out there, they're just not interested in this. Um, those people don't want to hear this. And if I invite a conversation about Jesus, they're going to knock my head off. Well, friends, it goes back to what we said earlier. And they may, that may happen. You may get your nose knocked off. You may get your head knocked off. But it goes back to what we said earlier. Do we believe what the Bible says about how you get to heaven? And friends, if we believe what the Bible says about heaven, it led David Livingston to walk across the continent of Africa sharing Christ with tribes that had never heard about Jesus before. It led guys like E. Stanley Jones to go and plant ashrams, little Christian communities all throughout the country of India where people had never heard about Jesus before because they believed what the Bible says, that there is no other way to the Father but through him. Friends, if we really believe that, we won't be lukewarm about evangelism. If we really believe that, we will be willing to pay whatever price in order to rescue as many people as we can from a destruction in eternity. Friends, it takes courage to do this. It may make your armpits sweaty, your hands sweaty. It may put cotton balls in your mouth, get your heart rate up, and make you anxious. But once you open your mouth and you initiate that conversation, the Holy Spirit will take over and things will just begin to flow. So I challenge you in 2019 to put a special point. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us here in 2019 was to say, Lord, make me a missionary this year. Whether I'm someplace getting my toenails done or I'm at work 
or I'm, I'm, at, I'm at getting, getting my car worked on, or wherever I happen to be. God, make me a missionary in 2019. Wouldn't it be wonderful in 2019 if every one of us had an opportunity? Maybe it didn't turn out to where somebody made a decision for Christ, but every one of us had an opportunity to open our mouths and share the truth about Jesus with somebody. Friends, that takes intention. That takes courage and guts. And friends, I think that we can do that um, in 2019. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for the truth about who you are, about the lost state of the world. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for the solution that you offered, the only solution to humanity's sin problem. God, we ask that you would... uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin bringing names and faces to mind. People in our lives, Lord, who we know aren't living for you. People who we know have not put their faith and trust in you. People who we fear for their eternal state. God, we pray for opportunity to be able to share Jesus in one of these four ways in the coming year. Lord, set it on our heart. Set that goal in our mind to go forth from this place and to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.